This is Motley Fool Answers. I'm Allison Southwick, and I'm joined, as always, by Robert Brokamp, personal finance expert here at The Motley Fool, and he's also the advisor on Motley Fool's Rule Your Retirement newsletter. Hi, Allison. Hi, Robert. It's time to throw open the windows, break out the Claritin, and embrace springtime. So today, we're going to help you give your finances a thorough scrubbing with advice for having your very own financial health day. We'll also answer your questions about finding the right savings rate, and we'll finish up by putting a financial spin on a few drinking games. Do we officially go off the rails in this episode? Let's find out! Spring break! Woo! Today's Answers Answers question comes to us from Matt, and he writes, My wife and I recently got married. Congrats. Congratulations. And we've been discussing finances quite a bit. Nice going. We're both 31. We'd love to be able to buy a house in the future, so this is a big goal for us. Although we live in Los Angeles, where real estate prices make us want to cry. I hear you, brother. <laughs> yeah. We have a sizable emergency fund, six-plus months expenses already. I'm currently maxing out my 401k and both of our Roth IRAs. The only debt we have is 8000 uh, of student loans at about 4.5%. So, what suggestions do you have for analyzing our income and expenses to determine a savings rate and allocation for our long-term goals? Well, first of all, that is a very impressive savings rate. So, he's maxing yeah. out his 401k, that's 18000 and then maxing out two IRAs, it's 5500 each, so we're talking about $29,000 a year, not even talking about an employer match, which you should always factor in when you're looking at your savings rate. So, I'm going to assume he's doing pretty well. Yeah, sounds like it. Right. Jeez. Right. When you, when you talk about savings rate, you're talking about the percentage of income. And for someone who is 30, most studies indicate that it should be around 15%. That's what you put in, as well as the employer match. And unless he's making a million dollars, he's probably somewhere around that 15% if he's socking away $30,000 or more. So I think retirement wise, he is fine. He brought up his emergency fund. He said six plus months. And we've talked before how that's actually pretty conservative. Most people don't need that big of an emergency fund, especially if A, you don't have a house yet, and B, you don't have kids. So I would instead start thinking about that emergency fund as the down payment for this house that you want. And you certainly want to be shooting for being able to put down 20% on that house for a couple of reasons. Number one, you'll pay, you're, the interest rate you'll get on the mortgage will be lower. I was working with a fool, uh, someone who works at the fool here earlier this week, and the mortgage broker said if, if you put down 10%, the interest rate will be 3.75. If you put down 20%, it'll be lower, more like 3.5%. But if you also put down 20%, you don't have to pay private mortgage insurance, PMI. And that could add 1000 to $2,000 of payments to your payments every year just by having that. So that's really where I would say he needs to be focusing on is building up that. The school debt doesn't bother me because it's at a low interest rate. Depending on his situation, it might be tax deductible. Um, for people who are not in his situation or wondering, well, am I on track in terms of savings? Uh, someone who is in their 20s probably could save less, less than 15%. If you're reaching your mid-30s and 40s and you haven't started saving for retirement, then you really need to start looking at closer to 20% if you want to retire in your mid-60s. Um, and a couple other rules of thumb here to consider. A lot of studies will break out how much you should have at various points in your life as a multiple of your income. So, someone who is 35 should have socked away about an equivalent that is one year's of their salary. So, one year of your salary, you should have about that much in your 401ks and IRAs and all that stuff. 
by the time you reach 45, it should be three to four times your salary. And when you're getting close to retirement, you should be looking at nine to 11 times your salary. So those are also some good rules of thumb in terms of how much you need to be saving. Of course, everyone's situation is different, whether if you have a pension or not, whether you have your health care paid for in retirement or not. So you should definitely do your own analysis, but those are good guidelines. It sounds like Matt's got a pretty good handle on stuff. The fact that he's worried about this probably tells me that he's going to be just fine. Right. And normally I would also say, and I'll say it now, that someone who's thinking (laughs) about getting a house and getting a mortgage, you should also look at your credit score. I mean, someone with a credit score of between 640 and 659 is going to pay a whole percentage point more than someone who has a great credit score above 760. So you'd want to get your credit score. If there's anything wrong on your credit report, fix that. But I'm guessing that he already has a pretty awesome credit score, Um, but something to check out anyhow. Ah, springtime is here! Thank goodness. And of course, that means spring cleaning. And you might as well take some time to spring clean your finances a little bit too, which is what we're going to talk about today. Now, at The Motley Fool, we just had our financial health day. And this is a day where the company encourages everyone to take a break, stop what you're doing, and think about your money, your finances, your retirement, all that stuff. And bro, you're the reason we have the financial health day here, right? Uh, I I guess so. I mean, the the whole idea of taking a financial health day didn't start with me. I mean, I, I had long written about how Financial success depends on finding the time to do a lot of stuff, especially if you're working all day, go home, take care of the kids, and then at night you're then going to sit down with a budget. It's not really fun to do. So taking a whole day to do it is a good idea. Ron Lieber, the New York Times, wrote about how he did it in 2009. Back then, they made the New York Times employees take a day off because of the economy, and they didn't get paid. They were furloughed. So Ron said, well, I got this day, so I'm going to take care of all these things. Um, but actually, one of the first people I know who did this is Denise Corsi, a an uh, employee of here at The Motley Fool, and she actually took a whole week off to do this. And I wrote about it way back in 2009, and she then calculated that all the stuff that she did, opening accounts, changing her cell phone bill, those types of things, or plan, saved her one to $2,000. And I followed up with her this morning, and I said, do you still do that? And she said, actually, I don't have to do it that much because taking that week off really set me up for a good system. So, uh, those of us who know Denise will not be surprised to know that she keeps track of all her personal and professional goals and looks at them every week and tracks the action steps that she needs, which is a great thing to do, by the way. But She's taking a very that, well put together woman. She is. Um, but she does partially credit taking that week off to sort of jump starting. The, the way she's been able to stay on top of her goals. Since but we're then. not saying people need to take a week off. We're saying just take a day off. Just and not a, a Saturday, off. not a Sunday. Call in sick to work, call in financially fit, whatever you want to do. Um, but take a work day off and seriously focus on your finances. Right. And it's important to, depending on what you have to do, you could do it on a weekend, but it's important to do it during a week for a lot of the things that you want to take care of. Either a, because you need to meet with people who only work during the week. could be a financial planner, state planning attorney, insurance agent. Uh, you might need to get businesses on the phone who are only open 9 to 5. Or you might have kids, and trying to do a lot of this stuff on the weekend when you have kids is very difficult. So, you actually created a handy-dandy little table 
Um, and if anything translates well to radio, it's it's tables and charts with, with numbers, numbers and lots stats of on numbers. Them. But it's a really I, don't, I think this will work. It's fine. Um, you actually went through and you calculated just a few things people could do during their financial health day and how much money it's going to save them. So, um, so first idea was negotiating twenty dollars a month off your cable bill. Right, and these are things that people actually did. I based this table on what people did at our financial health day. So that mm-hmm. was someone who saved twenty bucks a month and. Uh, someone else had moved their old 401k, transferred it to an IRA, and they lowered the expenses on their funds by 0.5%. Um, someone got better homeowner's insurance, saved 150 bucks a year off of that. Someone canceled their $50 a month gym membership, and then just uses our in-house gym here. And then someone boosted their 401k savings rate by 1%. This person had a $75,000 salary. So I calculated the total value of that and this per if you if someone did all these things in one day they would have increased their net worth after one year by $2400 but then if they invest that money in an investment that grows 8% a year after 10 years they would have almost $40,000 so you think about like one day sitting down taking care of all these things having more more almost $40,000 a decade later hopefully that's enough motivation for people to to sit down and do this stuff all right. So, what's some of your tips for having a very successful financial health day? Like, say, I'm all right. You know what? Good Friday is coming up. We get it off at the Motley Fool because the market is closed. Bro, I'm sold. I'm gonna have a financial health day. What do I do? Well, you have to think of you have to prioritize, and you think first of all, what's gonna have the biggest bang in terms of money? So, and that varies for various people. How often it is related to retirement? Just getting more money in that. Uh, in your plan. And if it's saving money, like you negotiate your cable bill or something like that, immediately then, okay, I saved $500 a month, immediately go to your 401k and increase your savings. And while you're there, why don't you triple it, the amount that you saved? Just go ahead and do that. <laughs> um, that said, some of the things don't have a monetary benefit, like getting a will and seeing an estate planning attorney. And so the other balance of that is. What's causing you stress? Right. What's that monkey on your back? Right. So, I, there's actually a great line that Ron Lieber wrote when he did his financial health day. He said, To be a modern American consumer is to be plagued by never ending guilt, uh, a guilt inducing stream of undone tasks. And knocking these things off can get rid of low grade anxiety that results from the under optimization of your financial life. And I think that's true. Just ask yourself, like, what has been nagging at me? What is going to make me feel better if I finally get it done? So you kind of marry those two and decide, okay, these are the things I'm going to take care of on my financial health day. It also means not checking email, not checking Facebook, not answering the phone if you don't have to. You've got this precious time. Focus on it. And you'll feel much better in the end. You will feel much better in the end. So for people who are listening who are also maybe business owners and have employees, What's advice for any company that wants to tell their have a have a financial health day for their employees and ha- provide it as a benefit? Because I think fools here really do see it as a cool benefit. Right. The first thing is to understand that it is good for your business, and there are various studies various studies that show how much productivity is lost when employees are under financial stress. Um, so it really is good for your bottom line to help folks. Uh, a survey done by SHRM, which is the Society of HR something or others. It just sounds better to say. Human Resource Management. That's the one. There you go. Society of Human Resource Management. Something, something like that. Yeah. Um, found that actually most employers say that they offer some sort of financial help, but it's mostly in the form of a seminar, which is like the H like the 401k person comes in and gives a seminar. 
that's helpful. Um, but what we have found is having more action-oriented and more individualized help is better. So when we looked at the survey after this recent Financial Health Day and people put, like, what did they found the most valuable, a lot of people put they were able to meet with one of our financial planners or meet with our HR folks to talk about their benefits. Um, and there are companies that actually provide this. The Molly Flow actually partners with a company called ACO, A-Y-C-O, that actually will provide phone access to financial counselors for businesses as a benefit. Oh. So I do find that I think that the more you can make it individualized one-on-one help, the more you're gonna be able to help your employees. So another part of our financial health day at the Fool is that we have classes throughout the day. Um, and so I went to the um, estate planning class. I went to a couple classes, but I went to the estate planning class. We actually had an outside lawyer come in and she gave a, a seminar on estate planning. And one of the things that I thought was that I learned um, from this from this time was she talked about how the point of having a will and an estate plan is to maximize harmony within your family and and harmony generally after you pass away. And she said a lot of people don't realize is that it's not the money that people fight the most over when you die. It's your things. And it's not necessarily like, oh, I want those really expensive earrings. No, they want grandma's earrings. The sentimental things. The sentimental things. And so she was talking about how um, these clients of hers were fighting tooth and nail, spending tens of thousands of dollars fighting over grandma's piano. You know, grandma's probably $800 piano. They're spending tens of thousands of dollars in legal fees. So her point was, don't just think about who you're gonna, how you're gonna divide up your estate, but have conversations with the people in your family, people you love, and just ask them, like, hey, is there anything you want? You know what? How? And try to try to smooth that out and and um, make that so it's easier um, after you die. So right. I thought that was interesting. And if you can't agree, it can be forced to be sold. And if it's if people are very spiteful about that's it, that's quite a say, King well, like Solomon a, sort of thing, well, right? That's what it, like if I can't have it, you're not going to have it, so we're going to sell it and split up the money. And you don't want that. No, you don't want grandma to cut the would, baby. Grandma in two. would be very unhappy. She would. Yeah. So, did you have any good takeaways from this year's um, financial health day? Well, I went to the credit score class offered by a woman from PNC Bank, and um, I think what was most interesting is the the advice to understand what makes up your credit score. Um, first of all, to check it, of course, and you can go to annual credit report and get it for free, and that just lists all the things about you, but doesn't have the score. For the score, a lot of banks like PNC and others actually just now provide it, but you can also get it at creditkarma.com. But different things have different weights within that score. So if you are in a position where like my score is not where I want it to be, but I want to make sure that I have it good when I need, when I take out a mortgage in six months, you have to understand what has the biggest impacts, and and it does depend on your situation. It might be you should be paying off a certain credit card because you are too close to the limit, um, or it might be you just don't have a long enough history, and you just need to open something up or make sure that you don't cancel a card even though you don't use it just because it has a longer history. Yeah, she talked. She also talked about how um, when you open up new accounts, you know they'll kind of look at your they'll look at your credit your credit report, and that'll impact your score. Um, like if you're opening up a ton of credit cards, that's going to have a negative impact on your score, right? But if you're going around and trying to get different mortgages, if you're shopping around for a mortgage, that's not going to impact your score because the credit reporting companies understand you're going to shop around for right. a mortgage. Right. Yeah, and the interesting thing about this is that the, the most commonly known score is the FICO, um, but it's a proprietary, proprietary 
formula. So to a certain degree, people are kind of guessing yeah. at what it is. And one thing that I learned actually afterwards is you can go to some place and they will give you a free credit score. Um, but they will. It's actually not your credit score. It is that company taking a guess at what your score is. They call it an educational score. Hmm. So if you go out and get a free score from somebody, make sure it is your actual score and not just that company saying, "Well, based on what you told us and from what we can see, we think your score is this." All right, bro. What's your parting piece of advice for having a financial, a successful financial health day, a spring clean? Well, make it as fun as you can. And at the Motley Fool, we do that by having a free breakfast. And if you go to classes and do things, you get raffle tickets, and then you can try to get prizes at the end of the day. Including a free hug from CFO Olin Douglas. Who wouldn't want that at the end of their grueling financial health day? Um, If you're doing it on your own, just think, how can you make it fun? So It could be that you just have a reward at the end of the day. You've done all this hard work, you deserve to go out to a nice restaurant or something like that. Or you go away and do do it somewhere else. And I think that is very helpful, especially if, if your tasks are a higher level, like goals, financial goals with your spouse, career decisions. Just make sure that you bring everything you need with you. Like go, go to a hotel and have a, a weekend. Yes. Yeah. I've actually done this about three times now, where I have just taken everything I've had. My wife has said, why don't you go away for a few days? She actually says that all the time. But for in particular about these goals, and I, I go with these big boxes of paperwork, and I just sit in the hotel room and done it like I did it in Charlottesville the last time, which is a beautiful little town. Mm-hmm. So I work for a couple hours, and then I go walk around UVA, and then I come back and do work. No, well, it doesn't. Take, so we're yeah. So not don't just make it a day. Make it a whole vacation. Your wife will be so psyched. It's true. <laughs> so your wife is going to be so happy that you're not around. Yeah. Aww. <laughs> That's, maybe that's a sad note to go out on. It's a funny note. Spring break! Woo! Woo! Why should the kids have all the fun? So today we're going to Panama City in spirit and playing a few <laughs> financial variations on common drinking games. For those of yes. you who don't get to watch the video, bro did just flash me. Um, so it's I gotta go. Break. I Come gotta on. go talk to HR. I'll be right back. Uh, the funny thing is, that's not the worst thing I've done in the office, and I, I don't know. I still have a job, <laughs> despite all my complaints. They just don't hear it. So all right, so we were gonna try. This could be a total disaster. But the idea is to put a financial spin on some common drinking games um, you might recall from your younger days, or not. If not, this could be totally new for you. And you know what? Have have fun with it. <laughs> Which is my case, by the way. I've never never played a drinking right, game. So, so should we'll we? Wa- so Rick, you're joining in on this. Should we play Never Have I Ever? How about that one? Okay, I don't know if I have any questions for that, but go ahead. Okay, well you can think we'll about it. Up. All right, so this is going to be financial. Never have I ever. And with Never Have I Ever, you make a statement such as Never Have I Ever Owned a Cat. And if anyone else has owned a cat, they have to drink. Make sense? Got it. Okay. First one, never have I ever intentionally carried a balance on a credit card. I I don't think I have intentionally. I've accidentally forgot to pay, but I have never had a balance. I think back in my youth, I probably have carried a balance. Well, then you should drink, because that's how this game works. There's no statute of limitations on this. I'm not sure it was intentional. It was just the result of... Of being young. Yeah. (laughs) I didn't mean to be young. I was just young. All right, drink, Rick. All right. What's yours? Uh, never have I ever owned a stock for less than one year. I don't know. I don't think so. I haven't either. All right, that was lame then. You people are too responsible. Sorry. All well, right. I, I read a, ver- a variation on this that if nobody has done your thing, then you drink. Oh, drink, Rick, drink. 
Because otherwise people come up with ridiculous stuff. Oh, I'm so glad I asked you to play. <laughs> All right, bro, your turn. Never have I ever hidden anything financially from my spouse. What, like, I'm going to make this true confessions. Well, like, well, I don't know. Like, there's stuff that I like. If I've gone shopping, I don't necessarily come home and be like, "Husband, here's everything that I spent and like bought." Do you? So do that? you've never intentionally, like, you haven't bought something like, "Oh, I better not tell Ron about that." Ron's not listening right now. I'm going to have just a little drink. <laughs> we all know I have a problem with Marshalls and TJ Maxx, so let's just move on. But you own the stock, so that's good. Yeah, that's right. Ka-ching, ka-ching, ka-ching. Um, it's done well for me this year. We have got, have got to figure out how to make bro drink. I got one. You do? All right. Never have I ever funded a 529 plan. Oh, I drink. Come on. I drink. That was a good one. That's smart. I'll see you one 529 plan, and never have I ever done an estate plan or a will. Now we're getting into true confessions. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Well, never have I ever taken out a loan against my 401k. I'm just not thirsty anymore. <laughs> <laughs> Woo! This green tea is going to my head. <laughs> Spring break! Okay. <laughs> Let's move on to the final game. Are you ready? Ready. So this one is called this one I'm very ill prepared for. This game is called Most Likely To. So one of us will name a scenario most likely to give Olin Douglas a hug. It's Motley Fool CFO. And then at the count of three, we we one, two, three, and then we say the name of the person who is most likely to give Olin Douglas a hug. Bro. Bro. Yes. Yeah. yeah. So I'll hug, I'll hug Olin. Can you say your own name? Yeah. <laughs> Probably, but then you have to drink, I think. That, and so you have to take a drink for every person who says your name. So I've got one. Oh, and by the way, I did not make this financially. This my, this my first one here is not financially focused, okay? Okay. All right. Most likely to make a scene at a foolish function. One, so. <laughs> two, three. Bro. What? <laughs> it's, been, it's been a few years now since I've dropped my pants. Um, and since we don't have as much dancing anymore at full functions, I don't think I make as many scenes, but oh well. Still most likely. Who's next? Am I next? Yep. You can if you got one. Most likely to retire overseas. Ooh. Uh, okay. One, two, three. Me! Allison. <laughs> <laughs> I'll take the drinks. I'm psyched about that idea. Yeah. Woo! Okay, so here's the scenario. You go out to eat. You paid the bill, you're leaving the restaurant, you're outside the restaurant, you look at the bill, you see that you were charged two fifty for a drink that you didn't order. Who is most likely to go back into the restaurant and get that two fifty back? Okay, first off, if you got charged two fifty for a drink you didn't order, then that means you're probably drinking soda or milk. So I think the answer is one, two, three, bro. Oh, man, I was gonna say Allison, but so I I should have done that. Yeah, so I'm drinking, probably. I'm drinking, come on, like I never have a dollar fifty drink or two fifty drink. I'm only this is DC. That's how man. much. That's how much a Shirley Temple costs these it's days. Fifteen so. bucks for a cocktail in DC. All right, so if it was fifteen bucks, would you go back? Oh, what time is it? <laughs> like it depends, right? Because if it's like end of the night and I've had one too many mugs of green tea, I might be like, oh, forget it. It's called karma. So you're just um, flipping around. You you look at the receipt and, and realize that you didn't get charged for your drinks. Who's most likely to go back and make good? Oh. Wow. Are we are we gonna really do that? 
All right. One, two, three. Rick. Rick. What? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Are you kidding me? <laughs> so you're not as good as we thought. No, I just never would even bother having the receipt. I, I uh, left that on the table. Yeah, yeah. that's true. <laughs> All I right. did. I did after I left a restaurant once with my kids because they were being kids. And I wasn't paying attention. I got home and realized I didn't leave a tip. So I immediately called the restaurant and said, "Can you please tell her that I'm going to come back tomorrow and leave it and give a tip?" So I guess so. It's sort of like that, right? That is nice of you. Well, you right, that's came a back tough the next job. Day, gave her ten percent. That's ten percent. I, I increased the tip I left by ten percent. Here is two dollars and fifty cents. <laughs> I think this makes us even for my soda. Is that how Thank I you. sound? Is that how I sound? No, to that's you? not how you sound Thank at you. all. Thank you. Thank you very much, bro. You said you have another one. Who is most likely to own the most individual stocks of the three of us? So not balance, but the number of actual companies. Are we including my husband's portfolio, his picks as well in mine, or is this purely how many stocks I have wanted to purchase? I guess just you. Okay, thank you. Yeah. All right. One, two, three, Rick. Rick. <laughs> yeah, Rick. So how many? Yeah. Roughly speaking, how many? Like, we talking like 20? About 40, I think. Okay. Whoa, Good wow. for you. Good for you. One share each. <laughs> well, yeah, for some of those shares. All right. Anyone else? Any other ones? Most likely to successfully get your kids interested in investing. Okay. Uh, three, two, one, bro. Allison? Wait, what did you say, Rick? I said bro. I said bro, too. I'm trying, but, you know, it's hard. Yeah. yeah. Well, my kids are older, and they certainly know an, a, enough about it, and with varying degrees. So Zoe, in particular, is very excited about owning Oh, companies. that's awesome. Yeah. That's very cool. All right, I'm done. That's all I got. Oh, guys. I think um, I think we should just take this show on the road <laughs> and go to Daytona Beach or Myrtle Beach and just, just do this. Oh, this is good. Yeah. <laughs> I'm ready to head to Senior Tadpoles and see if I can get in a Girls with Low Self-Esteem video. <laughs> Woo! Spring break! Money gone wild! <laughs> April is Financial Literacy Month! Yay! <laughs> We're giving you a chance to win your own investing library. You're going to want to check out the March 18 bonus episode of Market Foolery. You can do that by going to podcast.fool.com. And this episode features you, bro. It's true, yes. Uh, I wasn't aware that you were seeing other podcasts. <laughs> Nobody compares to you. Thank you. Mm -hmm. It also has David Gardner, Morgan Housel, and many others talking about their favorite investing books. And while you're listening to the show at podcast.fool.com, you can enter for a chance to win 10 of the books from the list that we're going to be giving away. All right, go to the website, podcast.fool.com, <laughs> listen to the episode, fall in love with bro all over again, and then enter to win an investing library. We'll send it to you if you win. Because that's how these things work. <laughs> the show is edited drunkenly by Rick Engdahl. Our email is answers at fool.com. Don't forget to go to podcast.fool.com to listen to that special bonus episode of Market Foolery and to uh, try to win a bunch of books. Because, come on, books. Free. On. Win. Now. <laughs> Winning. Just <laughs> For Robert Brokamp, I'm Allison Southwick. This show went off the rails. <laughs> Stay foolish. <laughs>